Uh, but I'm going to share something with you as we get into this. Um, uh, ten chapters or so before Jesus is speaking um, to those who are listening, and he tells a parable in Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the weeds. And the parable goes like this. He says, the kingdom of, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sows good seed in, his, in, in a field. So you have a good man who's selling, sowing good seed in the field. And then while, while the good man is not watching and his help isn't watching, someone comes along behind and sows um, the seeds of weeds in that same field. Um, and that would represent the enemy. And so the servants of the of the good man says should says hey should we go out and pull the weeds up and uh, and cast them aside and and the good man says no let's let both grow together until the harvest and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers gather the weeds first and bind them into bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into the barn and so. Um, and a few verses later, we see Jesus providing um, an explanation as to what he was actually saying when he says this. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. So Jesus, he's declaring, I am the one that sows the good seed. The field is the world. So the world that we find ourselves living in is the field. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy is the one who has sown them, is the devil. So you have us, sons and daughters of the Most High. We belong to his kingdom when we come into relationship with him, but we also know we are surrounded by those who are captivated by and serving the enemy. They are the weeds. And Jesus says this, he says, the harvest that is to come is the end of the age, the end of all things. That is when the harvest is going to take place, Jesus says, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels What an amazing moment that's going to be. And they will gather out of and they will gather out of his kingdom all that causes all causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And he says, He who has an ear, let him hear. There is a moment coming the great day of the great harvest at the end of all things, where the wheat, those who are sons and daughters of the Most High, will be separated from those who are the weeds, those who serve the enemy. And those that serve the enemy, Jesus says, will be cast into everlasting darkness, a place of torment. But for us who belong to the King that we just sang our praises to, we will enter, enter into everlasting, full-on, physical, face-to-face relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ, in His new kingdom. And I cannot wait for that day. 
Last week, Jasper began by kind of setting the foundation as he went back to Daniel, um, chapter 9, but, you know, he spent some more time throughout, the, throughout all of Daniel, um, really bringing us to the place we are today. And so, we have this in front of us right now. This is a graph that he showed us last week, Daniel's 70 weeks, according to Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. So, if you want to make a mark of that, this is what we see happening here. 483 years, or 69 weeks is what Daniel has declared would happen, would take place from the word that Artaxerxes declared to Nehemiah in chapter 2. He says, go now and build your temple. Let's reestablish your homeland. To the moment where Jesus walks in, or excuse me, rides in on a donkey. From the moment that Nehemiah or that Artaxerxes made that declaration to the moment where Jesus rides into the temple or or rides into Jerusalem, we see the fulfillment of a prophecy that was offered 483 years before or 69 weeks. So 69 weeks of what Daniel prophesied to happen have been fulfilled. And today, when we look at Matthew chapter 24, right here, Jesus enters Jerusalem and later crucified, the white, that is where we find ourselves today. Jesus speaking about what's to come down the road, and we don't know when that is, but Jesus is going to provide information today that shows us there are things that we can be watching for, markers we can be watching for, but we see Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 at this moment declaring, here's what's going to come. That's where we are today on, well, that's, that's where Jesus is in the midst of this timeline. 69 weeks fulfilled, 483 years fulfilled, Jesus shows up, and then now he is going to be talking about that last week, the 70th week. Okay? Daniel chapter 20, or chapter 9, verse 24 is where you find that answer, okay? Please forgive me. I'm going to be back and forth from my notes because I really, I want to make sure this is abundantly clear, okay? Now, let's go to Daniel chapter, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 23, just before um, Jesus starts laying things out in chapter 24, answering what the signs of the end of the age would be, um, we, we're going to see Jesus lamenting over uh, Jerusalem. But he has just ridden in on a donkey. He's just cleansed the temple. The, the disciples have seen him do such magnificent things. Jesus confronting the scribes and Pharisees, the, those who are leaders over the people, people of Israel. And he brings this just before um, the Olivet Discourse. He, um, he brings these seven woes that he declares to the leadership, declares over the leadership of his people Israel. And the one in verse 13 is the one that gets me the most. You will recognize verse 25, verse 25, them being, them being described as um, cups, then plates that are clean on the outside but full of greed and self-indulgence on the inside. He says that you are nothing but whitewashed tombs. You are hypocrites, you Pharisees and scribes. But verse 13, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter it yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. 
their speaking and their acting is keeping people from entering the kingdom of heaven because they are teaching them virtually to not believe in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we see Jesus in verse 37 of chapter 23 lamenting over Jerusalem when he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as hens gather her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Desolate. Desolate. I think about the scribes and the Pharisees shutting the door of the kingdom of heaven based on the way they were living, refusing to enter it, refusing to accept the person of Jesus Christ for who he is, their Messiah, their Savior that has come. And by their teaching and by their instruction and by their living, they are shutting the door of the kingdom on the face of those people who would listen or or who are listening. And Jesus is saying, weeping, over his people, saying, your house remains to you desolate. In other words, you continue to be outside of the care that God the Father has for you. That's what desolation means, a place of desolation, dryness, barrenness. You are separated from because you will not accept who I am. Why should we be focusing on the return of Christ? Why should we? For me, it's exciting. For me, it's exciting to think in these terms. Jesus is coming back. And what a, what a miraculous and wonderful thing it would be to think that he's going to do it in my time, in your time, in our generation. At the same time, it causes a lament inside of me simply because this is what it's telling me. Things have gotten so bad, it's time for God to come and put an end to it all and establish his kingdom the way he intends it to be here on earth. So yes, I'm excited. At the same time, I'm not. For others, for others, why should we focus on the return of Christ? There are too many living in desolation. Look, you, verse 37, you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Daniel, Daniel chapter 9. Daniel tells us, this word, these 69 weeks plus this 70th week are for his people Israel and for the city of Jerusalem. For 69 years, God has tried, he tried to get the attention of Israel saying, serve me, submit to me, let me be Lord of your life and God of your life. And now we're going to see the same holds true for the 70th week, this last seven years of the existence of mankind, we're going to see Jesus once again trying to get the attention of the people of Israel whose, whose homes remain desolate. But here's what I know with you and me. We get to share in this experience with Israel because how many of your neighbors 
We just, we just spent a month in, uh, of fasting and prayer for those that Lord, the Lord would lay on our hearts, unsaved, separated from, not in the kingdom of heaven. How many of your neighbors, family, friends, co-workers are living lives of desolation? They are out from under the care of God because they do not say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They do not say, Jesus is Lord of my life. They have not accepted him as Messiah. Well, this is where we are. Jesus, he's entered Jerusalem. And the last week, the 70th week, is what he's about to declare is going to be taking place in Matthew chapter 24. All right, let me see where we're at here. So, so here we go, Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 to 2. Take a look at it. Jesus leaves the temple. They're on their way to the Mount of Olives. They're going away when the disciples came to the point to point out the building of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Not one left on top of the other that will not be thrown down. Now, if you put yourself in the position of the disciples, that, that provokes further questions. Further questions. They just saw him ride in on a donkey, fulfilling prophecy. They just saw him clean out the temple because it was made into a den of robbers and it was supposed to be a place of prayer. All right? The disciples are seeing him do this. Now, they are leaving the temple. Mark, chapter 13, records the disciples marveling over this structure. Marveling over the structure. And then Jesus says, I tell you what, this is what's going to happen. The day is coming where that's going to be torn down. Not one stone is going to be left on top of another. And if I'm a disciple, I'm like, all right, here we go. What's going to, what's coming next? Jesus. So the question we all want to be, all want to have asked, and we still ask it ourselves today, is this, what the, what the disciples asked. After they made it to the Mount of Olives, he sat down on the Mount of Olives, verse 3, and the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Verse 3. When will these things be and what will be the sign? Hey, we're asking that question today, right? When we see things happening as they are around our world, it is provoking the question, how long, God, are you going to let this continue? There are things that are happening, and I shared last week, if you remember the brackets, the church age, which is what we are in between the 70th week and what is coming, or excuse me, the 69 weeks, and what is coming the last seven years or the 70th week, it seems like the shoulder of the church age is starting to lean into the last seven years. So we're asking the same question that the disciples asked Jesus. When will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Or, this is really the way it should be understood, the full end, or the full and final end of all things. That's the question we want to have answered, right? 
When is it going to happen? So the disciples asked as they're provoked by Jesus saying, hey, here comes the destruction of the temple. And so here's what I'd like us to consider this as. As Jesus lays out these markers for us to look for, he doesn't doesn't quickly say when this is going to happen. He says, really, as it starts happening, here's what you should be watching for. He's going to provide us with markers. And so for you and me, this will not and should not, if we are watching and waiting, it should not catch us by surprise. Because Jesus has told us what to watch for. And I would like for us to count this to be a time of vigilance. We should be entering into a time of vigilance. And this is what that means. Vigilance, it's a state of being constantly attentive and responsive to signs of opportunity, activity, or danger. We must be vigilant. Eyes open, ears open, seeking understanding for what is happening today Sensitive to the lead of the Holy Spirit as he reveals things to us. And so here we go. Jesus is starting to provide for us um, some of the things that we can be watching for. The vigilant watches for this. First, great deception. Look at verse 4. And Jesus answered them. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. So our eyes should be open for and expecting people to come and say, hey, I'm your Messiah, I'm your Savior. So let me share just a few with you. Let me share just a few with you, okay? Here we go. All right, deceivers that have come claiming to be Jesus or Messiah or Savior. In the 18th century, in the 18th century, two individuals are recorded as to having declared to be Jesus or the Messiah or the Savior, okay? That was, in, that was in the 18th century. The 19th century, there were seven recorded, seven, so two, now seven, declaring themselves to be Messiah. In the last century, the 20th century, there were 36 individuals that declared themselves to be Jesus, Messiah, Savior, Sung Yun Moon is one of them. I don't know if you ever heard of Moonies. It's hard for me to think that it's hard for me to think that anyone could declare that and end up with a following of three million people. But he did. Three million were deceived by him. His cult was the Unification Church. Three million followers. He and his wife were considered to be the true parents of these individuals. Their document, I'll call it, not the Bible. They actually use the Bible, but they interpret it in accordance with such a way that would give them the glory and not God, give them position as Messiah. But they also had what was written by Sung Yun Moon himself, the divine principle. This is what the divine principle says. So the guy wrote this about himself. Listen to this. With the fullness of time, God has sent one person to this earth to resolve the fundamental problems of human life and the universe. I'm like, right on, here comes Jesus. His name is Sung Yun Moon. He makes that declaration about himself. He writes his own document that he insists on his followers to to know and to read. 
Three million people were deceived. Many will come in my name, Jesus says, saying that I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. Here's one that you're all familiar with, Jim Jones. I knew you knew I was going to bring him up, right? Back in the 1970s, Jim Jones had some 3,000 followers. His cult was the People's Temple. He actually got a reasonable start. He was ordained in, a, he was ordained in the Independent Assemblies of God Church in the 1950s. And in 1978, you know, he took his followers into Guyana, South America. And in that place, their, cool, I'll call it Kool-Aid. It was something else. I want to say Live-Aid. We're coming to that. Kool-Aid. Um, flavor aid, that's what it was, mixed cyanide with it, and over 900 individuals committed suicide as a result of following him. Many will come saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. There's 900 more led astray. I'm like, how in the world do they follow them? A guy like this. Then, of course, you're aware of David Koresh, 1993. He called himself the last prophet. His cult was the Branch Davidians. 79 died under his leadership. 21 of those were under the age of 16, calling himself to be the Messiah. There's one that's happening right now in Israel. A.J. Miller with Mary Luck. A.J. Miller says this of himself. Reminder, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. A.J. Miller is, based on his own profession, the reincarnated Jesus Christ. Guess who Mary is? Mary Luck, his wife. She's Mary Magdalene, reincarnated. If you spend any time in the Gospels, you understand who she is. She followed Jesus around, gave her life to him. They're married. They're reincarnated, and now they're married. It's taking place in Australia right now. Many will come, Jesus says, in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. All right, so... um, If we believe that many are coming, what should we do? How should we approach this? What should we do in order to be ready for and aware of? I'm going to challenge you with this. No clever names, just passages. Make notes of these passages. Here's what you should do. If you recognize Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18, this is where Paul tells us that we should be clothed with the full armor of God. The full armor of God, because with it, the whole armor of God, that is, what, that is how we will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, which are being played out by these false messiahs. Arm yourselves with the full armor of God. You, of course, you have the belt of truth, you have the breastplate of righteousness, you have the shield of faith, but here's the one that I want you to really focus on. How do you stand against the schemes of the devil? How do you know when someone is coming to you with a deceptive truth? You know how to handle the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When false messiahs come, when someone comes with a deceptive word, you are so trained by your time in the Word, when you hear them speaking a false gospel, you know instantly that is not, that is not real, it is not true. We're going to find out next week. There will be no mistaking, no mistaking, not a single question when Jesus comes back. Not a single question. You will know it for sure. 2 John, verses 7 to 11, 
John says that many deceivers have gone out into the world, this was back in his day, that do not confess the coming of Christ in the flesh. He goes on to say in verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, so in other words, the true teaching of the true gospel, this is what he says, have nothing to do with them. Do not welcome them. Do not even give them a greeting. And I believe right now what should be coming into your head is, what do I do when the Jehovah's Witness shows up at my door? Here's what you don't do. You don't open it. They are not coming to hear from you. They are coming to have you hear from them share about their false gospel. Listen, don't even open the door. Be sharpened by the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Know your word. Here's a third one. Um, Galatians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul tells us here, he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, the true gospel, let this individual be accursed. Even if an angel comes to you and declares a false gospel, you have nothing to do with them. They are accursed. See that no one leads you astray. That's what you do. How do you do that? By immersing yourself in the Word of God, training yourself to hear the right message, to be familiar with the right message. The vigilant watches for great deception, but he also, she also watches for great conflict. Watches for great conflict. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, Jesus says, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great conflict. Great conflict. John MacArthur, and uh, it's fun to geek out over these things when you have time to sit and look at graphs and things. We just don't have time to do that on a Sunday morning. Maybe on a Wednesday night would be a great time to do that. But John MacArthur talks about the, the, the frequency of which wars and conflicts is, is, is happening. It's on the increase. So the time between conflicts is getting closer and closer together, Okay. And not only are they getting closer and closer together, but they are becoming, over time, from your perspective, more and more bloody, and more and more lives are being lost. That's John MacArthur's study on it. What we see today, think about it, what's going on between Russia and Ukraine, nation rising against nation, we see our relationship, the United States of America growing cold with China. It makes us wonder what's going to happen there. North Korea is on the outs. We don't have a great relationship with, with, um, with Russia. We are still fully involved, well, partially involved with what's going on in the Middle East. We see it happening all around us. But here's one that, I, that really strikes home for me. When you look at nation rising against nation, that can also be understood as people against people. So people groups against people. And that comes right home to where we live in our country, the United States of America. We can't even decide as a country how we should respond together, unified to what's going on across the sea. Right? We have our own mess to deal with here. We have people in our own country. We have people groups rising against other people groups, fighting. And all that to say, we haven't even mentioned what's going on in Israel right now. 
It's prime time for someone to step up and say, hey, I have an answer for what's going on in the Middle East. Let's lay down our swords for a while. What if someone said, hey, let's lay down our swords for a while for seven years? Wars, rumors of wars, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, great conflict, so what do I do? You turn to 1 Peter. Well, first of all, you need to understand why does it alarm you? Jesus says, hey, look, it's going to happen. Do not be alarmed. Do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not not here. Okay, so church, when you hear these things, does it alarm you? Are you alarmed in your soul? Are you like, this creates an ominous feeling in me to hear you share this stuff, Todd. Ominous feeling inside of me. It it creates an emptiness like, oh my goodness, what's happening all around us? Does it drive you to a place of anxiety? Look, our Lord and Savior, Jesus, he says this. He says, don't be alarmed. So what do you do in order to not be alarmed? How do we do that? 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 17 to 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, it's going to come, do this. Entrust himself to a faithful Savior while doing good. The one who said, do not be alarmed, gives you every reason to not be alarmed by simply resting in him and trusting that he knows what he's doing and he is going to care for you in a way that brings him glory and is for your good. Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 says this, that we should continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving watchful, giving thanks for the things that the Lord has poured out on our lives, blessing upon blessing upon blessing, and then praying constantly with steadfastness. You want to change your heart from a place of anxiety when you hear stuff like this to a place of rest? Simply take your concerns and lay them at the feet of Jesus and ask Him to change your heart. The vigilant watches for deception, the, the vigilant watches for conflict, and he also, she also looks for and should expect um, great disasters to come. Verse 7, for nation will rise against nation, yep, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Famines and earthquakes. Luke, Luke records also in chapter 21 that there will be pestilence, all right? Let's start with earthquakes. This would be another great thing to geek out over. So much so, it's like, if you, look at, if you look at some graphs of seismology, seismological graphs from, ni- from like 1900 until today, you will see an increase in seismic activity, okay? And, and you can be, like, I'm, if I'm not careful, I'm a scoffer, and here's why, because I'm like, well, of course, of course, because the technology of seismology has gotten so much better, of course it's going to record more. Yeah, but the Lord says it's going to happen. We are becoming more and more and more aware of what is happening. This is how good it's gotten. Um, Virginia Tech, the Hokies, this is fun. Football team, they begin every game with a song by Metallica called Enter Sandman. And, you know, the, the beat starts getting louder, people start jumping, and you have a whole stadium of 
80,000 people bouncing together. Seismologists say that they can record that as low-level tremors. That's how good things have gotten. That's kind of fun, isn't it? But anyhow, Jesus is saying, hey, this is going to be taking place. Earthquakes, famines. We know famines exist today, um, but I really want to take a moment and talk about pestilence, all right? Luke refers to pestilence. This is what blows me away. Everyone knows about what happened in 2020, right? The world freaks out and shuts down over a virus that claimed like 0.02% of all lives. Shut the world down for that. Do you remember in 2014 and 2015 when Ebola broke out in Liberia, Sierra Leone, and some other country? Okay? If you get the worst, I don't understand this, but for the sake of time, if you contracted Ebola, depending, there is a 90% chance you're going to die. If you get, let's call it the average whatever of Ebola, one in two people is going to die. Why didn't the world shut down in 2014 and 2015 because of that? Something's changing, and we should be aware of it. Famines, earthquakes, pestilence, great disasters are coming, and it's going to get worse. Jesus says, hey, look, All of this that I've shared to this point is nothing but the beginning of birth pains. Now, if you talk to any woman that has carried a child, her birth pains begin the moment she experiences her first, not contraction, her first um, sickness. What do they call it? Yeah, yeah, that. (laughs) Morning sickness. That's when it begins for them. And so, I, I, I don't know where to say we are as it relates to birth pains, but here's what I know. Beginning of birth pains, when, when, you're, when you're winding through your ninth month, ladies, and you experience a contraction, and then another contraction, and then another contraction, it is announcing, here we are. It's time. It's coming. And then, do the contractions remain the same until birth? No, they get harder and harder and harder and closer together and closer together and closer together. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. But Jesus says, don't be alarmed. Remember, don't be alarmed. Now look, these are the beginning of why all the birth trouble, why all the trouble, okay? I want to ask you a question. To what lengths would you be willing to go in order to see your loved ones lost? How far, say, uh, yeah, somebody heard that. Yeah, I mean, your lost loved ones to be saved. You knew that, right? Because it says it right there. Um, How far would you be willing to go? Look, God himself, through all of the history of Israel, over and over again, he did what he did in order to get their attention and say, serve me and worship me, and they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. They end up in captivity in Babylon, where Daniel gives his prophecy of 69 weeks plus one. To get their attention, you're in captivity. Serve me. Humble yourself. Repent. Receive me. 
they flow through captivity with Babylon. Babylon, non, Babylon knocks them down. Medo-Persia knocks them down. Greece knocks them down. Rome knocks them down during the time of Jesus. Knocks their temple down in AD 70. Beginning this, speaking of this, was what provoked the disciples to say, hey, when's all this going to happen? Everything God is using to get the attention of his people. And here comes the last seven years of existence of all things. So I want to ask you, what, is it, what did it take for the Lord to get your attention? For some of us, praise God, he only needs to step on our toes. For some of us, praise God, he only needs to kick us in our knees to bring us humbly down before him. For some, there needs to be a punch in the gut to where God can get you to humble yourself, receive who you are, accept who you are apart from Jesus Christ, and declare, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I accept the person of Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you with thinking in this way. We should want it to get worse and worse because there are people in our lives that are not listening, they're not seeing. The blinders are still on. The blinders are still on and need to be taken off And God is using this hardship, and in the last seven years, birth pangs getting worse and worse in order to get the attention of his people. Church age, that's where we are. Romans chapter 11, verses 13, he even uses the Gentile inclusion, the church age, in order somehow to make Paul's fellow Jews jealous so as to save some. He wants to get the attention of his people. All right? The vigilant should also watch and expect not just deception, it's coming. Not just conflict, it's coming. Not just disasters, it's coming. And they're all here, but also great persecution. Look at verse 9. Then, 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 they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. For my name's sake. Because you accept me, this is what's going to happen to you. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, joining the false messiahs. Verse 12, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. This will be a time of great tribulation. It will be a time of death. It will be a time of hatred. It will be a time of betrayal, of lawlessness, of coldness. What's most troubling to you? Deception, conflict, disasters, persecution. What is it that would cause you to question your faith and relationship in Jesus Christ. What is it? Speaking as a pastor, the conflict and the disasters, okay, fine. But the thing that is most concerning to me, and I love that Jesus started out with this, it's deception, that we stand the potential to be deceived and led astray or even for those great persecution that now, because of our relationship with Christ, who are so very dear to us, now hate us and are willing to turn us in, even to the point of death. What is most troubling to you? The first one and the fourth one are most troubling to me. 
Heaven forbid that we are deceived, and heaven forbid that we give in to the persecution that is surely coming. Look, the vigilant watches for, and we must expect, hey, this isn't going to go on forever. It isn't going to go on forever. Look at verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We will see the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Praise God. I have heard recently that there are Bible translators that believe they will have a translation of the Bible into the hands of every language on the planet, and they determine a people group with a language to be a hundred people or more by as early as 2026. So that's pretty exciting, isn't it? The gospel of the kingdom is going to be proclaimed. The great commission is going to be fulfilled and then the end will come. This is where we are. We're in the church age. Praise God that we have been included in this grand plan. Jesus is speaking about things that we may be seeing happening right now. So here's what we're looking at. This is today. This is is today, the beginning of birth pains. You have the Antichrist declaring a covenant of peace, according to Daniel chapter 9, that Jasper spoke about last week. This begins a process of the last seven years here on earth, And we're going to see these things, great deception, great conflict, great disasters, great persecution happening up to the midway point. Now, I would would challenge you to think in in this way. Great deception isn't going to just end, and then great conflict is going to come, and then great conflict is going to come, and then great disasters are going to come. No, don't think that. Think when this one starts, when great deception starts, they're all going to start mixing together, and that's going to be a very tumultuous time. All right? This is what we're looking at. Next week, next week we're going to begin at verse 15, Matthew 24, 15, where we're going to see um, the Antichrist revealing himself. All right? So I want to end with this question. Why should we be focused on the return of Christ? Hey, this stuff is coming, and we should be looking for it and expecting it and preparing for it. But also understand there are those in your life that still live in a place of desolation. And we should pray to God that these things that Jesus says are going to come would get the attention of those who are lost in our lives. A lot of stuff. I wish we had more time for those verses. I was going to do all of Matthew 24 in one week, and I said, no, we got to do it in two weeks. And this week I said, no, we have to do it in three weeks. So I can't even imagine trying to tackle all of this plus the rest of Matthew 24. It's so exciting, isn't it, church? Come next week, and we're going to see, hey, this is what's coming next. Father, thank you so much for the fullness of your word. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us these things, that, uh, these markers that we should be expecting and looking for. Lord, I pray for the lost that we've been praying for. Draw them into everlasting relationship with you, we pray. And Lord, may your word impact the hearts 
and the souls of each one that has heard your word spoken today in Jesus' name. Amen.